0: Today's uh, the, the message, or whatever I had to share, really started with our Bible study. I don't even remember when it was. It was a, a while back, a couple weeks ago or so. We were going through a Bible study, and like it always happens on Saturday or Saturday morning Bible study, we get off on something a, a whole other tangent. And we got to talking about the sufficiency. The, 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 the sufficiency of Scripture and the Bible, God's Word, is what we mean. And how often, as Christians and as churches, as believers, we we say the Bible is sufficient. What do we mean by that? We say the, the Bible is all we need. It's it's perfect. It's pure. It's holy. It's it's what we need for everything. Right? We say that, but our actions very often say the exact opposite, or say other, other things in that. And we got to talking about it. We got to talking about how the Scripture, it's, it's able to help you be saved. Scripture is, is capable, it's sufficient for salvation. The Scripture, it's sufficient to help you walk with God and grow. We call it sanctification. It's sufficient for that. By studying, reading, using the Bible, God's Word can sanctify us. Another uh, thing it does is it prepares us. It's sufficient to prepare us for service, for, for serving God, for ministry. And as we were talking through that, we looked through that uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. And I'm going to just read through this real quick. Go to 2 Timothy 3. We'll start at 14 and go down through 4.5. five. <clears throat> In verse 14 it says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee, charge thee therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebu- rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering. And doctrine, we were looking at that passage of scripture, and we noticed something. And it talks about it's the, there's a sufficiency in stages of life too. There's this sufficiency as as a young child, and in entering into even a young Christian salvation. And there's this sufficiency in sanctification in the middle there of, of walking with God and, and preparing you to be a Christian and how to be and help you to be to growth to be a Christian. And then there's this sufficiency. In service, I thought it was a it was a really neat verse. And we always hear about uh, fifteen, sixteen, and there where it talks about the, all scriptures inspired by God. But when you take that whole thing, it really shows you this this word right here. It's all you need. It, it truly is. And I think I might have shared before. Uh, there's a book I, I read. I like to read biographies of uh, Christians and men of faith and people that have uh, you know served God and made it. In, Done something amazing. And I, got, I like, uh, I got one, it's about Smith Wigglesworth. And his doctrine, I believe, is very messed up. He's got some very, he's kind of out there. But he had some, some neat things about him. And one thing about this man was his wife taught him to read. His, his, his claim, he didn't know how to read. His wife taught him to read by using the Bible. And from that time on, that's all he would ever read. He went so far as there was a story of a man in, in his book this biography of a story of a man came to his house and he had a newspaper with him. He said he was greeted at the door by Pastor Wigglesworth. He said, What's that? He goes, well, It's a newspaper. It's just something no, I thought while I was spending time at your house. Maybe I could read it. And he said, Son, there's nothing in this house read but the Word of God. And he made, he made him get rid of it. He wouldn't let him even bring it into the house. He believed, he a man that believed, this Word of God was sufficient. You could be saved you could walk with God. You could serve God. You had everything you need right here. And, and we know that. We say that. We claim it. But, you know, you go to go to a Christian bookstore and you'll realize we don't really believe it. Because we got to have all these books and all these things to help us. And I'm guilty of the same thing. I love to go get... Let's find out what other people say. Does anybody ever have a, a concern? You're saying, man, I want to know what God thinks about this. And how often do we go to Google to find our answer of what all these other people in the world say before we go and say, I'm going to sit down and read my Bible. See if I can figure out what the Bible says, and then I'll go and get some confirmation from some other people. Our actions, the way we live, the way we do things, and the way we handle ourselves as Christians, a lot of times betray what we really believe. What we really believe is, I know this is good, but either I don't have confidence in my understanding of it, so it's not really sufficient because it needs somebody else to teach it to me. Or it's not good enough, and so I need somebody else to add to it. i got to go learn something else. When in reality, we should be able to get this book, open it up, read it, study it, and it should lead us to salvation, it should sanctify us, and it should help prepare us for service and enable us to serve. That's... Basically, you could just sit down. That's pretty well my message. But I wanted to go through and expound a little bit on some of those and show you in the Bible where it teaches a little more of this and, how, and show you where the Bible itself teaches some of these things. So really I really want to start is explaining this, this book. This book is 2 Timothy was written, as we know, from Paul. It was written to Timothy. And Timothy was a student of Paul. And this was written about the time of when Paul was in his second captivity. Paul was captive, held captive Set free for a short time, went into ministry. Then he was captured again and held as a prisoner, and then it, that ultimately ended in his martyrdom, his death. So he was writing this book shortly before he was about to be murdered in prison. And he, I think, in the in the book, in some places you see where Paul longs to be with Timothy, but there also seems to be some understanding that you know I might not I might not get out of this situation. I might might. Not make it. But if you go to verse one or chapter 1, verse 6, it kind of shows you a beginning of, put you into mind. I love to do this whenever I'm studying the Bible, a, a book of the Bible, or a verse in the Bible. I like to go back and figure out what's going on in this verse and what are some of the highlighted verses here that help me understand the, the, the thought process, what was going on in this book, why did they write it. And you look in at verse 1-6 and it kind of gives you a little understanding of the the idea of this book. It says, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. If you look at the books of Timothy, even Titus, some of these books, they're more of an encouragement type of letter. You know, you look at Romans. Look at uh, Ephesians. These are books of deep, doctrine. I'm going to lay out this big, long doctoral thesis to you and explain all these doctrines. Timothy, it's it's a book of remembrance. It's a book that says, listen, you've walked with me. I've taught you these things. You know them. Now I'm just going to remind you of them. I'm going to teach you again. I'm going to show you again some of the things that I've already taught you, that you already know these things. Remember them so that you can follow me so that you can serve God, so that you can be an effective minister. I I read that scripture and it reminded me of something I heard a pastor talking about one time. He said preaching. Sometimes it's real interesting. Pastors will get really messed up and can err sometimes trying to come up with new things. They're always trying to amaze people by saying, check out this new thing I found in the Bible that nobody else knows. Somebody knows it. It's been... We've been teaching this thing for 2,000 years. Somebody has taught what you're you're teaching. Really, what preaching a lot of times is, is Bible study for yourself, um, Bible study with your family. It's not so much bringing something new. It's reminding what you already know. How many of us will sit in a sermon and three weeks later say, do you remember what he taught? And you're like, no, I don't. But if, if, if you're constantly sitting under the preaching of the Word, if you're constantly reading the Bible, you're constantly teaching others, what happens? It has this ability to bring you into remembrance. Hey, I knew that. But I just needed to be reminded of it. And it helps you to grow. And so that's what Paul's doing here. Paul's saying, listen, I'm in jail. You're out there serving. I want to write this to you and remind you of a few things that are going to help you in your service. Remind you. Stir you up. One commentary said that it almost appears like Paul suspected Timothy of kind of fizzling a little bit or maybe getting discouraged or kind of getting, you know, you get out in the ministry, you get out in life, just daily life, it kind of starts to what? It it, it kind of drags you down. You ever feel that way? And you sit down in the morning and you read your Bible. Or you come to a a Sunday morning service and somebody teaches something and it just builds you back up. Man, I can do this. I don't know if I I get that way. I remember when I first got saved. I had people, you know, they would look at me and say, "Man, why do you always want to go to church?" It's like because it's the only place I can successfully spend a few moments, somewhat free from sin. It was a way for me to be encouraged. I'd get in there because, man, when I first got saved, and like you all do, when, when you get saved, there's a time where you're really struggling. At least I was, and it was like a refuge for me. And church has always been that way ever since then. A place to gather, to be refreshed, to be reminded of the things I know, to be reminded you've been set free. There's no condemnation for you. Christ, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Those kind of big truths. I was thinking of the, the words we were singing this morning. Holy, holy, holy. Greg was behind me just belting it out. I'm like, this is awesome. i got Eric in front of me and Spencer and Greg. I was having so much fun. I'm like, you guys need to come to my house and just sit around me while I study my Bible and sing. That would be so awesome. How much would would you love that? It reminded me of that. I shared with Spencer, there was a a pastor um, and he was speaking about visiting a church. He was talking on worship. And he said, I went into this service and there was a big countdown. You might have seen this. It was a video on YouTube of him preaching. And it was, it was kind of comical. It said there was a countdown clock, and it was like lights and cameras, and it was dun dun dun. The music was building and a crescendo, and this music and the lights came up, and the band came on, and the guy ran out and he said, How do y'all feel? <laughs> and he says, How do I feel? He says, well, I wish I could repeat what he said, but it's basically it's like. I just got up this morning, I stubbed my toe, I burnt my toast, my coffees was cold, I kicked my, do you say? I kicked my dog, I don't even own a dog, you know, that kind of thing. It says, I had to fight somebody for my parking spot this morning. At 8.30 in the morning, I'm barely ambulatory, and you're asking me how I feel? I feel terrible. He says, tell me what I know. Tell me what you know. Tell me about God. Let's sing like those songs this morning. God is holy, he's mighty, he's amazing. Don't ask me how I feel. I feel terrible. I've had a hard week. I've walked in this world. It's got me down. There's Things have been difficult. I've had struggles. Tell me something about God that can make me say, wow, that's the God I serve? How amazing. That's what the Word of God does. And that's what Paul is doing to Timothy here. He's reminding him of the things he knows in a way to encourage him. And that's what this book is. Go to uh, Flip over just a little bit more to chapter 2. Verse 1 and 2, it says... Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He reminds him of another thing here. He reminds him of the structure that God has put in place to pass on his good news, his teaching. What does he do? Paul says this, I've had understanding given to me by God. Paul wrote it down in Scripture. And he says, And I have taught you. Now you go teach others. And in doing so, what are they going to do? They're going to teach others. And then they're going to teach others. Think about This thought hit me when I was thinking through that. They're going to teach others and they're going to teach others and they're going to teach others. We, when we stand up on Sunday morning or we gather in our homes with our families or when we join with a brother and we sit and we discuss the Bible, we're entering into a Bible study that's been going on for about 2,000 years. And will continue until Christ calls His people home. Amen. Think about that. This isn't just some Sunday morning we're getting up and doing this. This information, this wisdom, this stuff that we're learning that Paul is passing on to encourage Timothy has been passed on and passed on and passed on up to us today. And will continue to be passed on. You hear so often people say, Fathers, you need to teach your children. Well, you do need to, but it's not that's a really bad way to say it. We get to. We get to join in this Bible study that's been going on for centuries, and we get to pass it through our children and through people we meet on the street and people we know. And and it just continues on. There's a there's there's a part in here, and we're and we're go to uh, Chapter 2, verse 9. And you'll think about... Remember what I said? We were part of this. Bible study's been going on for like 2,000 years. And it's passed on, passed on. Paul says this. Wherein I suffer trouble as an even-doer, even unto bonds. What does it say there? The Word of God is not bound. Think of all the attempts that people have made over the history of... Of Christianity to squelch the word of God. They've they've burnt Bibles, they've killed believers, they've persecuted, they're still doing it today. Go over to the Middle East and walk around, share the gospel, and see what happens. You're going to get persecuted. Go to Nigeria. I got a friend from Nigeria, who just got back from there. I mean, there's difficult places. People are actively trying to destroy God's word. And what happens? You can't you can't bind it up. You can gather all the Bibles in the world. If you could do this and grab them, put them in a room, lock them down, and tie them up, somehow that Word of God is going to get out. The Word of God is not going to be bound. It's going to go forth, and it's going to accomplish its purpose. So Paul's reminding him of these things. Go over to 3, 14 to 15. And he gets down to where where our verse is today, and he says this. He says, Verse 13 says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And he says this, in, in light of these false teachers that are coming. He says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. He says, Press on. Don't fall back. There's false teachers around. And and back back over in in chapter 2, verse 15, what is he telling him before that? He says, there's these false teachers. There's people going to come in and they're going to cause problems. He said, continue. Continue serving. Continue teaching. Continue doing what you've been called to do. Press on. And he says, in doing so, what are you doing? Study. Study what? The scriptures. Study to show yourself to prove. a workman. Unashamed. Right? Rightly dividing the word of truth. So what I was thinking in going through this, we say the scripture is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient. And I had two questions came to mind as I was going through that is, what is the scripture? When I say scripture is sufficient, what do I mean? And the other one is where did it originate? Where did it come from? That's a couple important questions for me, anyways. And some facts. These are interesting facts. I like facts. They give me some encouragement. All Scripture is the very first thing. He says all Scripture, in verse 16, is inspired by God, right? What does he mean when he says all Scripture? It's a book. We're talking about this book, the Holy Bible, the Word of God. And it was written, the facts, by 40 authors. 40 different people came together to write this one book. Okay, Over a period of about 1,500 years from beginning, first author to last, what they covered. And it covered, it was written on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, in these areas. Right? And there was three languages in the Bible as well. So you got all these things. You got 40 authors over a huge span of years, 1,500 years, on three different continents, and including three different languages. And yet, this thing is perfect. People will say, God, there's contradictions and errors in the Bible. Anytime somebody asks you that, does anybody have an idea? What's a great question to ask them? Show me one. one. They'll go, well, I don't really have it right now, but I'll get back with you. People just throw that out there all the time. And then if they do have one, say, well, let's go look at it. And with a very little bit of effort, usually, you can show that that is not a contradiction. This Bible... This Word, what we talk about. There's 33 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Here's an interesting fact. How many books are in Isaiah? 66. How many books are in the Bible? And if you look, Isaiah is divided up into 33 and 27 as well, into its structure. It fits with the whole Bible. There's so many weird things like that about how God orchestrated His Word to be perfect. It's not... uh, accidentally a bunch of guys, they found some books and just threw them together. This book is perfect, pure and holy. And it has no errors. It has no contradictions. We can trust that this right here, when we say the Word of God, the Scriptures, we can say this is it. This is what we mean when we say this right here, this book that we have is sufficient to do what it needs to do. So what's it going to do? Go to 2 Timothy, we'll go to 3.15. And that from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. One of the things the Scriptures do, and I love this verse. I repeat this verse to myself every time I get ready to share the Gospel with somebody because it reminds me It's not my efforts, not my arguments, not my eloquence, not my anything, not even my wisdom. It's going to bring this person to a point of salvation. The Word of God has the ability to make a person wise unto salvation. It doesn't say that the Word of God is what saves us, right? What do we know right here? Every Sunday we go over this. The word of the repentance and faith in Jesus Christ saves a person. This word of God makes a person wise until salvation. It gives them the knowledge, the understanding. It brings them to the point where they can be saved. Go to James one eighteen to twenty one. There's another good one along that along that lines. James one eighteen. Says, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. It says, receive, engrafted word. The word, there's no doubt, the word of God is able to save your souls. Has anybody ever been sharing the gospel with somebody? And you're, you're talking to them, you're having a conversation, and it feels like it's just going nowhere. You're just hitting a wall. They're, they're, every time you try to share something, they bring up a, a something else. They bring up, well, what about this? A different argument. And you just feel like, They call it like nailing jello to a wall kind of thing. It just just never works, right? And then you bring in God's Word. You say, let's just read read the Bible. It's amazing what the Word of God, if you just stick with the Word of God, will do in a situation like that. I've seen it take somebody who's sitting there and saying, no, God... God isn't real or this is all that and this is just made, or, or, or I'm not a sinner, I'm really good. There's, they'll make up all the excuses. They'll even, you know, this is not a real book. It was written by a bunch of people and it was just man-made and all these excuses. But then if you get them to actually sit and read it, I don't know how it works. God is amazing. But He'll take that and all of a sudden, He'll just... and, and, and change the whole situation around where the even though they said all those things... It just crushes their arguments. And they say, well, what am I going to do when I die? You know, Here's somebody two minutes ago was telling me, God doesn't exist. I'm going to be reincarnated. Or I'm going to come back as you know, some, a puppy or something. And then you show the Word of God to them in different verses. And all of a sudden, they just forget that five minutes ago they said God didn't exist. And they start having a discussion about God. It's amazing what God's Word will do. But I'm afraid, I do this, I know I do. All too often, the enemy gets us caught up in discussions that are pointless. We start discussing facts and figures. We start discussing philosophy and all these things that are good. They're not bad to discuss them or to know them. But they get us away from the Word. And the Bible gets us chasing all these rabbits and all these things in an effort to share the gospel with somebody that we never actually get around to sharing the Word. And the Word itself, the Bible says, is sufficient to make a man wise unto salvation. Do you notice what it said over there in the beginning of verse 15? We'd mentioned, and that not from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, we mentioned about teaching your children, right? I think every parent in this room would say, if you ask the question, do you want your children to be saved? What would we say? Well, Yes. And how often do we say, I'm praying for their salvation. I'm I'm teaching them to do right. I'm training them to follow God. I'm bringing them to church. I'm getting them involved. I'm making sure we, we have all these things. What is the one promise in the Bible that says, what is able to save their souls? Word of God. It's sometimes easier to do all that other stuff than it is to sit down and ensure that you impart the word of God to your children. Read it to them daily. Get them to read it. Do we believe that the Word of God truly is sufficient? The Word of God alone is sufficient to bring a person to the point of salvation? Do we believe that? If we do, I'm reading this and thinking about it, why wouldn't I spend a majority of my time teaching the Word to my children? as opposed to other things. You know, a parent that prepares their child for a career, they teach them all this great stuff. Boy, everybody cheers and applause them. But if a parent says, you know, I'm spending a majority of my time teaching in the Word of God, and then I'm going to teach them what they need for a skill later, a secondary, people might say, oh, are you sure that's a good idea? How are they going to make a living? Right? I mean, just honestly, I would think that myself. I'd say, I got to be careful here. I, I, I don't want. I want them to be prepared because they're going to have families and take care of families. Yet, in the end, what's more important to me—that my children are able to make a wealthy, a good living, or that my children spend eternity in heaven? What's more important? If I believe that the Word of God is sufficient to save a soul, to make a person wise into salvation, where would my priority be—teaching them the Word of God or teaching them biology? I mean that really gets me when I think about it. I'm not saying it's an either or. I'm saying where's my priority? What's what's what? what am I investing the most time and effort into as a parent? And there's some of you may be saying, "Well, I'm not a parent yet." Maybe you're one of the kids. So how does that apply to us? What do you investing your time in your own personal growth? You know, how much effort you drive by the the, the thing? How much effort do people put into? A career for themselves. How much effort do we put into making sure we move forward in, in life and do better in life? How much effort do we put into making sure we're physically fit? Not everybody is naturally physically fit as I. <laughs> That's a side joke. Me and my wife have been she's been making fun of me. I think I'm I think I'm growing along with her pregnancy and using <laughs> all her midnight snacks, I'm joining in with her. <laughs> But think about it. Think about how much money and effort and time we put into those things of of self-improvement, business, you know. Um, every man in this room would understand this. There's days you sit, sit awake at night going, I'm going to be a Walmart greeter when I'm 80. I have no hope of ever getting a break. I'm going to work. I'm going to come home one day, and they're going to bury me. And that's pretty well, that's my life, right? And I start thinking to myself, what can I do to move forward or to better my life or to get more income? I, I, God, give me some answers. And I, again, is that a bad thing? No. But at the same time, do I put as much concern into saying, am I studying the Word? Am I learning the Word? What's important? What's vital? I've got people in my life that are lost. This can bring them to salvation, and I'm worried about how to make more money. Man, when you put it that way, you're kind of like, geez, that's pretty simple, right? But the world and the devil has such a way of getting our head and going
1: oh,
0: and getting us off track. It's so easy. It was one of the I told Pastor Lindsay when I came back from Haiti. We got to talk a little bit about my trip back the first time. And even the second time when we went back when we were here. And I said, you know what my greatest fear of coming back from Haiti to the U.S. is? I said, there's a lot of things I'm worried about, a lot of things I'm concerned about. I didn't have a job. I didn't have I nothing. I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. But my greatest fear was that, that idea of the, I called it the I need. Um, I was afraid that the moment I got back... I was going to slowly slip into this thing of, well, we need this, or, well, we need that, or Internet's not fast enough. We need a little bit faster Internet, or our computer's not good enough. We need a little bit, or our car's broke down. We need a little better car. My phone's not quite right. I need a little better phone, or, man, we've had a hard week. We need to go out to dinner. I need is what I called it. When we were in Haiti, it was one of the blessings. It was impossible. I mean, the nearest flush toilet other than ours was like 20 miles away. You know, we produced our own power, our own water. It was, you know, a great night was having a couple of the guys up and watching the stars with a cup of coffee. That was like, ooh, this is exciting, right? <laughs> and so it was easy not to get caught up in the I need as as well. I had a million times more than everybody I was around. So in my eyes, when I'm around all these people, I mean, there's ten people crammed in a little mud hut. And I got a nice big house, and I got access to cars, and I got all the food I want. All of a sudden, I feel pretty good, right? Life is great for me, but the I need when I got here. And the devil is so good, we don't even realize it because we're in the middle of it. We're getting our mind and our eyes fixed on these I needs to provide, to, to, to get more stuff. And he gets our mind off of this. What do we need? We need this. It's sufficient, it's good, it's perfect, it's pure. Want to go? Don't want to drag you on too long, so we'll try to move forward. Go to Hebrews chapter four, real quick, because as I was studying, it, I found something really neat in relation to the Word of God sufficient to save your souls. Hebrews four twelve. In my version, it says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. And it is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's talking about how the Word of God can just pierce. Remember we talking about evangelism? Or even one-on-one. Somebody's struggling. Um, you guys have a counseling ministry. You can sit and talk to somebody until you're blue in the face. Sometimes the Word of God, and you're like, whoa, it just cuts them deep, right? Or yourself, you're reading. But that word quick in mind. Does anybody have a different word that theirs uses? It says, for the word of God is quick.
1: Living in active.
0: Living in active? That's a good way to put it. Anybody else? Living and powerful. Living in powerful. When you go and read that word, it's used three times in the New Testament. It's used in where did I got where did I put it here? It's used in Matthew 4:4, 4, 4, Hebrews 10.38. and right here. It says it's quick. It's to be alive. It lives. It breathes. It says it's living. It's not stagnant. It's not just something that somebody wrote and it sits there and it was really important and good and vital and relevant 2,000 years ago but when you read it today you're just like, yeah, that doesn't have any application at all to me. It's alive. It, it is as relevant and applicable to us today as it was Back then. But there's another part to it where it says, to, what, what did you say is living in what?
1: Active.
0: Active. There's this idea of that word of to bring to life. Not just alive, but to bring to life. Think about We're saying the word of God is able to save, is able to make you wise into salvation, able to save your service. What is salvation but bringing somebody to life, Right? The idea that the word of God is living and active or quick has this connotation of bringing to life. You guys remember in John chapter 11, it's about the story of Lazarus. Remember what happened? Jesus goes to the tomb. They're all thinking he's dead. And Jesus says what? Lazarus, come forth. The word of God, his spoken word brought Lazarus forth, didn't he? The Word of God. I was reading that and thought, hey, the Word of God is quick. It's alive. And, and, and the, the Bible is so neat how it uses words to convey those meanings. It has not it's not only alive in and of itself, but it has the ability. In and of itself, it's sufficient to bring somebody to a point of salvation. The second part of that is in chapter or verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read. Read on. And that's where we get the all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect. We'll stop right there. This word profitable is used three times as well. It's used in 1 Timothy 4.8, Titus 3.8, and here in this same place. And it has to do with works. These works, these things you do, these things about your life, are it's profitable to produce these good works. In First Timothy four eight, uh, go over go over there. It's just it's real close. We can get there. It says bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. This, this godliness, it's a profitable thing. Titus 3.8, flip over there. And there's the other version of it. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. The word of God is profitable to save us. To, or, and to sanctify us to set us apart we're thinking about this in this Bible study when we were going through this we're thinking somebody comes into you into your office we're talking about maybe counseling somebody but even a friend or one of your children they come to you and they say dad mom I'm really struggling with sin I, I've got this sin in my life and I'm just having trouble having difficulties We've got some options here. We could try to give them all the logistical ways that they can overcome this difficulty in their life. We could tell them, well, you know, just got to try harder. We could come up with all these things. Or what could we do? We could take them to the Word of God. And I, I told Pastor Lindsay, I said, in my life there's one great truth I learned that has been exceedingly profitable in helping me overcome sin. And that is this. In 1 Corinthians, it says what? You have been made new. You've been a new creation, right? Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Remember uh, Watchman Nee telling this story about a man coming to him. And he said, Brother Nee, I've got a problem. He says, I don't know what's going on with your, your teaching. He says, but you told us if we pray, God will hear us. I'm a drunk, and I beat my wife. And I don't want to do that. And I pray to God, God, please set me free from that. And He won't. Why is that? Why do I keep getting drunk and beating my wife when I'm asking God to stop it? I don't want to do it and I can't stop. If God is truly God, wouldn't He set me free from all this? It doesn't make sense. And He looked at him, it was kind of funny. He says, You see this teapot? I said, okay. He so what would you think if that teapot started praying to God right now, saying, God, make me a teapot. Please, Lord, make me a teapot. God said, well, that would be absurd. And he says, you're doing the same thing. Just like in 1 Corinthians, it says what? Not you're being made new, or you might be able to overcome sin. What does it say? You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. How does the Word of God sufficient to sanctify us? It reminds us that when we sin... We don't have to. When that temptation comes, the devil loves us to get to fighting sin. I'm going to dig in and I ain't going to do it. What's the chances that's going to work? Slim to none, right? Well, let's say you approach it this way. I don't have to sin. That temptation's coming. Lord, help me. You've told me that I don't have to do it. And all of a sudden, you start using words. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always. Right? The Word is able to make me perfect. I'm a new creation. I've been set free. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. All of a sudden, these words start coming in. And, you, and the Word of God helps you not to sin. That realization that the Word of God gives you. I've had people say, Well, you're just playing mind games. Yes, I'm being renewed by the, by the, the Word of God. It is renewing my mind. It's renewing my heart. The Word of God is sanctifying me. It's setting me apart and helping me. And do I need a bunch of self-help books? Do I need a bunch of people in my life? Do I need all this stuff to, to be sanctified? Or do I need the Word of God? I need this only. All that other stuff is a bonus. It's like, hey, extra added good things. But this right here is sufficient to sanctify us. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, 11 to 13. See another one of the ways it does it. You ever read the Bible and you see a story of a person in the Bible and it encourages you? It's like, man, that's pretty cool. That's encouraging to me. He says this Now all these things which are happening. Happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation you taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation also, make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear up under it. He says this, these stories in the Bible, these things that have been written down, they're examples to show us how to live, to encourage us, to admonish us. And in reading them and in doing so, you remember things like this. What? What do you remember? Of how, 10.13 was described to be this way. You're heading down a freeway, and sin is right up ahead. God, every time you're in that situation, provides an off-ramp. He's not going to take you and kick you down the off-ramp. But it's there. I guarantee you. So what does the Word of God do to sanctify you and help you overcome sin? It renews your mind and it makes you think of examples of other people and things they've went through and you say, I'm heading into sin. I feel this temptation. I know I'm in the middle of it. Where's the off-ramp? God says, you're going to provide a way out. Where's it at? Help me to escape. And Knowing the Word of God, studying the Word of God, gives you that remembrance of saying, there's a way out. I know there is. It's a promise of God. So God won't lie. He's faithful. He's here. He's here with me now. He's going to help me. And I'm heading to sin. How do I get out of this? Look for the offering. Where's the way out? Call a friend. Read the Bible. Run. Scream. Don't do it. You know, whatever. What does it take? Start. I remember a friend one time saying, Somebody came to him and said, I want to quit smoking and I can't do it. And he said, put a shirt, Get buy yourself a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus, don't sell me cigarettes. He said, wear it every day.
1: <laughs>
0: How bad do you not want to sin? There's a way out, right? But do we really want it? Do we want the way out? <laughs> There's always a way out. The question is, do you want it? God provides a way out. And his word is sufficient to help us in those times. Go to John 17, 12-17, and we'll see what Jesus says about this. This is where Jesus is praying for His followers. Verse 12, it says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that Thou gavest Me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled i now and now come i to thee and these things i speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves i have given them thy word and thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as i am not of the world i pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but thou shouldest keep them from the evil they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What's He say there, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy truth is your word. Jesus is praying, I'm about to leave. I've kept them. I've helped these, these young these men if they walked with me. And I'm, gone, I'm going away. Father, set them apart. Sanctify them. Help them. How? By the truth. And where does the truth come from? from the Word. The Word of God is capable and sufficient. It is all we need to not only get saved, but to grow in holiness. And in the last part, let's read verse 17. It says, That the man of God may be perfect, set apart. For what purpose? Thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. He just finishes up telling him about the word of God. It's sufficiency to save. It's sufficiency to help you to grow, to sanctify you. I would have... Uh, uh, made many, many Baptist pastors very proud. Probably made Eric comfortable feeling like he was back at Roswell. Three nice S's there, right? Like, Save, sanctify, and serve. I didn't even mean to do that. Isn't that amazing? I was like, man, some... Go get my doctorate at some Baptist college now. Um, but he finishes these up and he says, In light of all this, What's the word do? He has that therefore. You've all heard this, right? It says, when you see a therefore, what should you ask yourself? Therefore. What's it there for? When you see a therefore, he's saying, the word of God is able to do this. He's able to make you perfect. Why? So that you can serve. Remember, what's the purpose of this letter? Remember? It was an encouragement to Timothy from Paul. And he was in prison. And Timothy's out there. It wasn't an easy situation Timothy was in, right? There's persecution going on. And do you think every believer that Timothy was ministering to was just happy-go-lucky? Do you think Timothy ever had difficulties, struggles? Of course he did. He said, the Word of God cannot only save you, cannot only sanctify you, but it will help you in your service to me. Having been made perfect. And it says what? You're thoroughly furnished. You're perfectly, that word it, it, uh, connotates this completely finished. You've been completely finished, and through his word, you're thoroughly furnished. You're completely equipped and made capable of serving God. Go to Titus. These are nice because they're all so close. Chapter 1, verse 7 and 9. It's talking here about a bishop or an elder, a leader, but um, does that mean it doesn't apply to us? Just because the the, uh, Bible says, for a bishop must be blameless, does that mean, well, the rest of us, we can just do what we want, right? It's only only the leaders, only the elders that need to worry about this, right? No. It says a bishop must be blameless, as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. But as he said, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. How is this man of God Able to do the ministry he's been called to do. What's it say? Holding fast the faithful word. That word is, is the key. How is this man of God? How are you going to be able to go and serve? Knowing this. Using this. How many times do you say, you well, I'm going to study this, but I'm going to go get some type of an evangelistic tool. To share the gospel, do you need an evangelistic tool? No. Is it good? Yeah, I've had those soccer balls. There's all kinds of neat things you can use. They're great. But do you need them? I love it sometimes. I love it when I'm downtown, we're handing out tracks, and I run out. It's almost a condemnation or a conviction. I'll be handing them out, we're talking to people, and I run out, and I'm like, I got one left usually. Because I get down to my last one, it's like, I look at the boys sometimes and say, Well, we got an hour left till so we got to go home. I got one track left. I guess I'm going to have to talk to people.
1: <laughs> well, ain't that terrible.
0: <laughs> right? But I've had some of the greatest conversations when I'm down to one track and I'll pull it out and I'll get my Bible out and say, This is it. All I have is the Word of God and a conversation. I can't just sit there and hand tracks out and say, Hey, read that later. I've got to now actually use God's Word to talk to that some of the most fruitful conversations have come at those points. That's why I say I love it, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I'm out. Now i got to actually start thinking a little more. Right? It, it's great. I remember um, you guys, I wasn't there, but you went to the uh, to the uh, park a while back, and the kids were hanging out tracks, and Brennan said they got to the last one, and Abigail wouldn't let them give it away. They gave it to somebody. And she's like, no, 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 now that you read it, give it back. And she, he was taking it and give it to people, let them read it, and then take it back and we reusing it. So they ran into the same problem, but they're better than me. They, they were smarter. They kept it and just kept passing it on. The Word of God is useful. It is not useful, but it's sufficient in our service to God. Go to Psalms 119, 105. Love this one. Oh. Every morning when you get up and turn the light on, This verse should pop into your mind. Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God is sufficient to guide us, to help us to serve God. How many times have you heard somebody make this statement? I love the Lord God, I'm willing to serve Him. I'm not really sure where he's leading me. Your first question, it's a valid concern, but your first question should be what? Have you been studying the Word? Because what does it say the Word is? Look down right there at your Bible and remind yourself that the Word is what? A lamp to my feet and a light. Want to know where God wants you to go serve? You'd be amazed if you just sit and read and read and study and go through this, how he will illuminate the plan he has for you. How often do we sit and, and we're all guilty of this? I know we are. I know I am. And we say, I'm going to pray over it. And we sit and we just, God, show me where to go. God, tell me what to do. God, how do I handle this? What should I do? Where are you leading me? What direction do you have for me? And the whole time, my Bible's sitting right there. And I'm over here, right I'm brainstorming ideas that God has for me.
1: <laughs>
0: right? And I'm going to my mom and dad, or, or in my case, my wife. What do you think we should do? Where do you think God's leading us? God's over there going, hello? Give you right here? It says, this right here. The reason I say you should think of it in the morning. What kind of a fool would get up in the morning? Other than me, I've done this and I've paid for it. And take off running through the house in the pitch dark with not turning the lights on, right? Or you're too tired, so you're just stumbling around the house, running into like doors that are half open, right? Who left the door open? Right? Close the door. What kind of a fool would do that? No. What do we do when we get up? Turn the light on. How many of us get up? Get up, take off on our day, cruising down the road. I'm going to serve God. I can't wait to be a servant of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going out and serving Him. And halfway through the day, we're like, you know, I might want to read the Bible today. We've just went down the road trying to serve God in the dark. is foolish. When you think about it, as physically walking around in the dark. It's like, what kind of an idiot would do that? But yet, we do it all the time. I'm too busy this morning. I don't have time. And that's why you have a stubbed toe. Because you're too busy. You ran down the hallway to turn the light on, and you stubbed your toe, right? Same thing in the Bible. I'm too busy to read the Bible, and God's over here going, you know, I had your path lit up right there, and you're way over there stuck in the bushes somewhere. How did you get over there? You didn't open the Word and read, right? God's Word. I love that verse because it reminds us it is sufficient not only to prepare us for service, but to guide us in that service. You're already in Psalms, so flip over here to chapter 19. It's kind of another section in Scripture that summarizes this whole thing. I want you to realize this, of everything that we're talking about this morning is, this is sufficient. It is. This is what you need. Read it. Meditate on it. Study on it. Talk to each other about it. Teach your children it devouring, it will save, it will sanctify and it will guide you into service, it will help you when you serve, but go to Psalms 19 start at verse 7 I love this the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple By them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward.